0: I want to read together one verse of Scripture, one verse only. Uh, Psalm 32 and verse number 1. You'll see the words on the screen. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to read that with me out loud. Psalm 32 and verse number 1. This is a psalm that is written by David. A psalm that is written as he experiences the blessing of forgiveness. If you have experienced forgiveness for some grave injustice that you have committed towards someone, then you understand what a blessing that is. If you've experienced the grace that the choir just sang about, then you understand the, the, what was that Al? The the definition is kindness when somebody doesn't deserve it. When you have received that kindness, knowing that not only you don't deserve it, but you have trespassed against the person giving you that kindness, you understand what the blessing of forgiveness is is all about on the screen you'll notice the words psalm 32 and verse number one i want to ask you to read it out loud with me from the standpoint of this if you are a person who has experienced grace if you think back in your life to a time when you have experienced The grace of another person for something you've done that is wrong. If you think back to that time in your life when you became a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ and you were confronted with your sin, recognizing you were under the judgment of God, but that in Jesus Christ on the cross, He extended to you grace and forgiveness. And you know what that blessing is all about. Then Psalm 32 and verse number 1 should be a great psalm for you to not only say but to say with thankfulness. And as we say that out loud together in a moment, I want to encourage you to say it with thankfulness. If you have experienced that kind of blessing and that kind of forgiveness, then I hope that as you share this out loud together, that anybody that would see just you sharing the, the saying of this as we say it together, anybody looking just at you would see not only thankfulness, but also joy. And then they would see worship. The worship of God as we say the words together that David said in Psalm 32, verse 1, that blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Isn't that a great word? Forgiven. Whose sin is covered up and remembered no more. Would you say those words with me together with thankfulness, with joy, and with worship? Let's say them together. Ready? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And our Heavenly Father today, May we be confronted with the fact that before a holy and righteous God, we stand guilty, condemned, and sinful. But because of Jesus, those who trust and believe in Him are set free and their sin is covered and the blessing of forgiveness comes. May we rejoice in that today. May we celebrate that today. May we observe that today with the Lord's Supper. May we make sure... That this is not just a statement from the Bible. May we make sure this is not just something we repeat in church. May we make sure that it's not just true for all those around us, but may we each today make sure that these words are true for us. That though sinful, we have been forgiven by Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, again, this uh, this, this statement is, is written down by David. Uh, David had sinned egregiously against God, and in his time of having been forgiven, forgiven, he says these words. And in the same way, you and I, and, I, and there, there's a tie in here as we talk about the topic of these series of messages: faith in the real world. In the real world, this is true. We're all sinners. Let's just make sure we understand that. In the real world, the Bible says. All of us, every last one of us are sinners, but because of Jesus we can be forgiven and set free. These words of David can also be our words as well. Now last week, if you were here, we were looking at an episode in David's life from 2 Samuel chapter 11. And uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David at the end of the chapter has breathed a sigh of relief. Because what had happened was this, he had seen a young woman bathing, she was beautiful, he sent for her, they had relations together. He sent her home. She became pregnant. He tried to cover it up by bring, inviting her husband to come in from war and to be with her so she could claim the baby. And when that didn't work, he had the husband murdered out on the battlefield. And, uh, and then, so, so then he took the, the woman Bathsheba to be his wife. They got married. They had the baby. Everything looks like it's on the up and up. Everything is now, whew, it's all fixed. And then at the end of 2 Samuel Eleven, the very end of the chapter, verse 27, there's a little side note. Very short, very brief, but it simply says this. The thing that David had done, this whole episode, this thing that David had done displeased the Lord, was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord saw. He, David might have pulled the wool over everybody else's eyes, but he did not pull the wool over the eyes of God because God is omniscient. He is all-knowing and he is omnipresent. He is present everywhere at the same time. So after David sinned with Bathsheba, there are three key passages that I'm going to pull in today to talk about what we do after we have been confronted with our sin. Even when we think we've smoothed it over and nobody else knows about it, when that confrontation and conviction of sin comes, what are we to do? So today we'll to look at these three passages. Let me tell you very quickly what they are. I've listed them for you in your listening guide. The first passage is the very next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And there we see a confrontation. A confrontation from God to David through the preacher. I hate it when I'm the preacher in those situations. <laughs> from God to David through the prophet, the pastor, Nathan. The next passage of Scripture is Psalm 51, which is David's reply after being confronted with his sin. That's his psalm of confession. It is a prayer given to God from David. Then the third passage we're going to look at, is Psalm 32. We just read Psalm 32 and verse 1 together. Psalm 32, written by David after his prayer of confession, and it is a a time of celebration. His confrontation and his confession now leads to celebration because his sins have been forgiven and he has been washed. And he celebrates that. So that's going to provide the outline today for us to examine what do we do? All of us, each of us. What do we do when there has been sin in our lives? I want you to notice, first of all, we're going to look uh, at 2 Samuel chapter 12, and that's the topic of confrontation, the fact of this. Be sure your sin will find you out. Can I get a witness to that this morning? Be sure your sin will find you out. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 2, Jesus said, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. When David had his encounter with Bathsheba, that whole episode, uh, he broke God's commandments left and right. It's almost like he was on a quest to see how many of God's commands can I break at one time. That's what it seemed like. David broke, for example, uh, commandment number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Well, that's exactly what he did. He broke commandment number 7, you shall not commit adultery. He broke commandment number six, you shall not commit murder. He broke commandment number nine, you shall not bear false witness. And so as quick as he could, it seems like he said, well, which one can I break now? And there are people in this world that if we watch them, it seems like that's their attitude. What can I do today to offend God? You ever seen people like that? They're on the TV, they're making music, they're in the movies, they're, they're in the public eye. But they also are in the cubicle next to you at work. They live down the street from you in, in your street. Nobody else may ever hear of them. Their circle of influence may be small, but their attitude is the same as that of people with a prominent voice and the same as that seems to be from David. What can I do to offend God today? Listen, sin is serious. Sin is serious. The Bible says we've all sinned and it is serious and it brings about a confrontation. Sometimes the confrontation comes with the pastor. And sometimes it's a one-on-one situation where where the pastor knows something and he he sits down and he talks to somebody. Sometimes the, the person comes to the pastor. Sometimes it's in a Sunday school connect group. Sometimes it might be with a deacon. Sometimes it might be with a friend. Sometimes it might be with a family member. Sometimes it might be with somebody that you work with. Sometimes it might be a fellow student at your school. Any number of different ways, but sometimes there are confrontations over sin because sin brings about confrontations when we wrong someone or when we wrong God. Some, sometimes, confrontation comes from God. In the Scripture, we read, you shall not commit adultery. And when adultery has been committed, there is a confrontation with God. If you know what you've done, and you read in the Scripture, you shouldn't do it. You've got a confrontation on your hands. Ultimately, Confrontation comes from the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16 and verse 8, Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit said, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is going to convict your heart. It's it's more than feeling like you've got away with it. It's more than somebody coming to you person to person. Even more than that is the Spirit of God in your heart bringing about conviction that no matter what anybody else says about your sin, that it, it is either wrong or some people will say, it's okay, just do what you want to do. Either way, there's the Holy Spirit that will bring about conviction in the soul, conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. And I want to say this again. I've said it several times in the last year or so. I keep finding myself coming back to the topic of the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God We should rejoice over the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. When we toss and we turn and we can't sleep and we know that what we're about to do is wrong or we know that what we've already done is wrong and we know that we can't keep doing what we've already done in our hearts and there's a sense of God is so distant, we ought to rejoice because that is God's Spirit at work in your heart, in my heart, telling us we must repent and turn back to God. We don't like to hear that necessarily. But that's what Jesus says, the role, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to feel the presence of God in your life, when you're walking away from God, and you're violating the Word of God, and that sick feeling in your soul comes, and you cry out and say, God, I just want to know you and experience you, you are right now in that sick feeling in your heart. 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is a prophet there in the court of the king. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew grew up with him and his children. And it used to eat his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Everybody say, oh, isn't that sweet? Just a sweet little ewe lamb as a family pet, lived in the house, scooped up in the arm. You think about the the, the cutest, most affectionate little lap dog you might have. And this little ewe lamb, that's what he was in in this story. Verse 4. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took, listen, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it to the man for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, the prophet, the pastor who's standing there, as the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb. Fourfold because of two reasons. Because he did this thing, as evil as it was. And because he had no pity on this man and his one little ewe lamb, this man will pay back. And David probably felt, hmm, that'll take care of it. Then Nathan said to him, verse 7, You are that man. You're that man, King. You're that man who had all of this and went out and stole the little ewe lamb, this precious prized possession from the man. You're the one who did that. Verse 7, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why? Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? After all he's done for you, why would you do this? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And you've taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword Of the Ammonites. David has gone from being thankful that his sin has been covered and nobody knows, to being indignant as the king that somebody in his kingdom would treat some little poor man with just one little ewe lamb that he loved so badly, to now being exposed for his sin. What does he do? Confrontation over sin. Verse 13. David said to Nathan, it doesn't say what he did, it, said, it gives you what he says. David said to Nathan, I can imagine that David went from standing up in front of the throne and giving this sentence of death and, and, of, and of repayment about the man who had stolen the little lamb. I can imagine he went from that to crumpled down in the throne. Just crumpled down in defeat. And in humility, and he simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said, you're that man? David said, yes, I am. And Nathan said, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. The confrontation that comes. It may be that it comes through a person like Nathan the prophet. It may be that it comes from the Word of God as you read that what you have done or committed is an evil thing in God's sight. It could come also through the Holy Spirit in your heart. It you don't need a preacher to say it, and you know what the Word of God says, but in your heart you know that what has happened is wrong and must be addressed in your life in order to be right with God. Notice passage number 2, Psalm 51. After this event had taken place, at some point... At some point, David gets alone with God. And David, as was his custom, had a pen in his hand, and he crafted a prayer to God that we have recorded in the Scripture as Psalm number 51. You see, when you and I are confronted with sin, we have to decide how are we going to respond to to this confrontation with sin. We We can deny it. No, it was not me. Somebody comes to you and says, "You did this." No, it wasn't me. You feel this conviction of the Spirit? The, the Lord is convicting you. No, Lord, it wasn't me. I deny. It wasn't me. It was Al. It wasn't me. <laughs> we can excuse it. Well, I did it, but there's a good. I've got a good excuse. We can explain it away. Well, you know, I did it, but it was and it was wrong. But there's a good. There's, here's a, an explanation of why I, I, I do it. Or The end result, we can own it. We can just own the fact that we are guilty of sin. Now, with God, there's no denial of sin because he knows it all. We realize that, right? There's no, you can't deny your sin. With God, there's no making of excuses. You can say whatever, you can give every excuse in the book till the cows come home and you are still guilty of your sin. There's no explaining away sin before God because He knows everything and we are still, at the end of the day, sinners. The only remedy when confronted with our sin in order to get right with God, the only remedy is to own it. Like David, and say, I have sinned against the Lord. Now when David was tempted and sinned with Bathsheba, he was acting like a man. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there's none who is righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done that. There's none of us who is perfect. So when David sinned with Bathsheba, he was acting like a human being person who is sinful, he acted in sin But when David was confronted by the prophet, Nathan, David responded like a man after God's own heart. David is known as a man after God's own heart throughout the Scripture. And, and it's real easy to look at him and, and say, well, well, David did this with his kids. David did that with Bathsheba. David, mistake- If you want to find the sins of David, you can make a list of them from the Bible. And then we ask, why is he a man after God's own heart? It's not that he sinned. David is not God. David is human. And David sinned. The key to knowing why David was called a man after God's own heart is not that he sinned, and we should not be surprised that he sinned, or even how he sinned. The surprise and the recognition of being a man after God's own heart is that when confronted, he did not say, I'm the king, I can do whatever I please, I'll take his wife, and I'll take your wife. He could have said that, he's the king. He didn't say that. He just simply sat down, recognizing the conviction of God. He said, I've sinned, against the Lord he owned it completely he repented of it sincerely and he confessed it openly to needed people if you look in your Bible at Psalm 51 there's a headline over Psalm 51 and it's usually about the same in every translation and in the English Standard Version the the heading over Psalm 51 says this to the choir master which means it's a psalm a psalm of David He put his name to it. When Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. When David repented, when David owned it, he owned it before everybody. His own sin and his response, his confession to God. Here's what he said. Psalm 51, starting at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God, you are holy and I am wholly sinful. Verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Because the sin against God is a sin of the heart. And David knew the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God in his heart. And he says, and renew a right spirit within me, because a wrong spirit has gotten a hold of me. Verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, Restore to me, verse 12, the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. My joy is gone because of the convicting power of your spirit. Deliver me, verse 14, from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. David is saying these outward things are fine. The, The offerings, they're there. But the offerings are not what's important. The offering to God, the sacrifice of God, is not what's done on the altar physically. It's what's done on the heart spiritually. And David's just pouring it out. When we're confronted with our transgressions, we can deny it, we can excuse it, we can explain it, but until we come to the place where we own it before God, we will not be made right with Him. We own it, we repent of it, and we confess it. And that leads us to the third passage that we're going to look at this morning, and that is Psalm number 32. 32. 2 Samuel chapter 12 is is hard. Psalm 51, when you really study these passages of Scripture, Psalm 51 is hard. David is at the bottom. David is looking up. David had lost all that that God had blessed him with in their relationship. And he was repenting and crying out for more. And and, and that's exactly the process you and I are called in Scripture to take when confronted with our sins. But what happens after that? What happens when we get real with God and get real before God and get real with our circumstances before God? What happens when that takes place? Let me tell you in one word, a great celebration takes place for the guilty who have been forgiven. I won't say that again. A great celebration takes place for the guilty who have been forgiven. Psalm number 32. At some point after David had been restored, some time had gone by. The uh, the, the events of of 2 Samuel 12 had taken place. The the prayer David crafted as Psalm 51 had had been written. And now at some point, uh, David uh, writes the words of Psalm number 32. And he says in verse number 1, now remember we're looking at, at, at confrontation, which is conviction. We're looking at uh, 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 confession, and then we're looking at celebration. All those are in Psalm 32, verse, verses 1 and 2. We see a celebration. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Man, a man was crying out to God, I am crushed. And now he says, I've been blessed because my great transgression against God, adultery, murder, lying, covetousness, all of those that separated me from God have now been forgiven and that sin... Has been covered over. Verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Even though there has been iniquity, which is sin. Even though that's taken place. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit against God. Because He has come clean. That's the celebration. At the end of the psalm, verse 11. It says this. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. When you have experienced this forgiveness, when the transgression of your soul has been covered over and God has forgiven you, then you should shout for joy that has been restored. Because you know what it's like when that joy is gone. And you know what it's like when the piercing arrow of the conviction of the Holy Spirit has come into your heart. You know all that. And you cry out to God. And you own your sin. And Jesus brings salvation and forgiveness. And then what is the result? You shout for joy. Is it okay to shout in church? Amen. Too often we just sit around like like, we're, like we've been sucking on lemons. When we ought to be in the sanctuary and in the streets and in our homes and on our teams and out in the community and at our jobs, not being able to hold in the fact, let me tell you what He's done for me. Now we're going to shout for joy. If you don't feel comfortable shouting for joy, I'm not going to pressure you. You don't have to do that. But we're going to shout for joy today. And you've got a couple of choices. A, you can shout praise the Lord. That's a good one. B, you can shout hallelujah. C, you can shout whatever you want to. If you're okay today, shouting for joy, which the Bible says, because our sins have been forgiven and washed away and they're gone and I've been restored to God, on the count of three, we shout for joy. One, two, three, praise the Lord! Woo. Man, there is a celebration that takes place here. Now we're still in Psalm 32. Now we see the confrontation and conviction. Verse three, looking back. See, now David's looking back, he's not in the midst of it anymore. He's looking back. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. There's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. And then we see confession. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's what he's done for us. In John chapter 8, Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees, a test with the woman who had been caught in adultery. And Jesus talked about how forgiveness works. A woman who did not deserve it, a woman who didn't even ask for it. Jesus used as a great teachable moment. In John chapter 8, verse 10, we're reminded that when God forgives, there's no earthly condemnation. Jesus said to the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Remember what Jesus said to him? He said, yeah, the one of you that's without sin, and the one of you that's perfect, the one of you that's on the pedestal, you throw the first stone. They all walked away. Jesus said, where are they? Is no one condemning you? She said, no one. There's no more earthly condemnation. Notice, there's also no more heavenly condemnation. John eight eleven, Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. John five twenty-four. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Romans eight one. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's also to be no more sinful pursuit. When we've been forgiven, that's not Jesus saying, okay, and everything's good now. Go, keep on, keep on keeping on. Keep doing it. You know, Come on back when you want forgiveness and I'll forgive and you keep. No, 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 not at all. Jesus said to the woman, John 8 verse 11, neither do I condemn you. Then he says, go and from now on sin no more. Leave your life of sin. You've been forgiven. You've been set free. Your sin is covered over. The sinful lifestyle that we have enjoyed and participated in but that has brought us down and brought us slow and brought the conviction of God's Holy Spirit, we're to leave that sinful lifestyle behind. That's the joy that we have. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of all the elements of what I've been sharing with you today. We're reminded of the sin of mankind, how all of us are sinful and guilty before God. We can point our fingers at David and say, yeah, but I'm not like David. I didn't, do, so I didn't break commandment number 10 or number 6 or number 7 or number whatever they may be. I didn't do that. But guess what? Jesus said, if you've thought about it in your heart, you've done it. We're all guilty of breaking all 10 of the commandments multiple times. We're reminded by the story of David of our own plight before God of being guilty, but also being confronted with our sin. But also recognizing that through confession and owning our sin and coming to God and recognizing what God has done for us when He sent Jesus to be our Savior, who died on the cross in our place and for our sin, and on the third day after being buried was raised from the dead. His body was broken that we might be forgiven. His blood was shed that we might be healed. And through our faith and what He's done for us, we are forgiven and set free and blessed and those shouts ought not just to be at the prompting of the preacher on a Sunday morning. And we have the privilege of celebrating that great fact every single day.